Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Good morning, church family. Good morning to those who are visiting. Our ushers are making their way through the congregation. And if you did not receive a copy of this morning's handout, I just ask you to raise your hand. Make sure that you get a copy for uh, it will help you this coming week in a conversation at home in the workplace, uh, as you deal with the topic this morning uh, of anger. And I've entitled this morning's message, Let's All Get Angry the Right Way. Let's all get angry the right way. I am delighted to see you here. What a tremendous crowd we have for uh, a June Sunday. Thank you for those who are watching by live stream and uh, those who are visiting with us. There are several folks who are visiting with us this morning. It is always a joy to have visitors and uh, I've been able to meet some of you already prior to the service. I'd just like to say thank you. A week ago, I preached part one of this message and I said something at the beginning of the message that went like this. My children, growing up in our home, we have three children, all of them are now married, uh, and they have their own children, we have eight grandchildren, and so uh, uh, our youngest is 28, oldest is 32, and so uh, we have a a long history, and in those uh, 28 to 32 years, my children have never heard me say a curse word. My children have never seen me drink alcohol. My children have never seen me smoke a cigarette. My children have never walked in on me looking at pornography. There's a lot of things that I could say, man, I have never done that and my children have never seen that. And you might think, wow, you have been an awesome dad. However, on the heels of that, I quickly say, my children can stand up and tell you, do you remember when dad got so angry and dad got so mad? And many of those times that I've gotten angry and upset, it was over something that was inconsequential. It didn't even matter. But I had a short fuse and lost my testimony as a dad, as a husband, as a Christian, over something uh, that I had no business getting angry. And I even shared a story about a credit card incident. I was reminded last night as our son was over at our house and Jonathan said, he was talking and he says, Do you remember when dad got so mad? Uh, No, I don't need any more sermon material. (laughs) And he said, do you remember when dad got so mad? He says, in our previous ministry, he said, I was running up and down the pews, on top of the pews. And do you remember when dad got so mad? I don't even remember that. But you know what? He does remember that. And remembered me getting so angry. Oh, there's a lot of things my children have never seen me do, and I'm thankful that they've been spared, but I'm embarrassed to stand before you this morning and say, sadly, there are things that my children have experienced, and that is when dad got angry, and here's the thing, they remember it. They remember those times when dad got so angry and so mad over something that wasn't even that important. Do you know the Bible says 
multiple times. 375 times that God got angry over something. So anger is a part of our human nature. Um, it's something that happens. It's something that's very realistic. You know that some of you got mad coming to church this morning? And now you're wondering what you were even mad about. But you fought with your spouse on the way to church today and you got so mad, so worked up. Listen, Shelly and I solved that problem a long time ago. We drove two cars to church this morning. <laughs> but some of you, even this very day you got angry over something and now you can't even remember why you got angry, but you got angry. Anger's a part of our human nature. It's in the Bible, even the Bible says, be ye angry, get angry. Uh, but we need to do it the right way. And so last week and this week, we want to teach you how to get angry as a Christian, as a person, the right way. Now, I can't repeat last week's message, and so point one and point two is in your notes. We, we just filled in the blanks for you. And uh, I just ask you to, to drop down to point number three. And, and as we're looking about getting angry this morning, and we're lear learning how to get angry the right way, when I'm upset, adjust my anger. When I'm upset, the third thing I need to do is I need to adjust my anger. Don't procrastinate in dealing with it. Don't put it off. Don't deny it. In fact, a great verse is Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 and verse 27. The Bible says this, be angry. In other words, that's, it's okay to get angry. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, I'm going to get angry. There's going to be something that I get worked up about, but do not go to bed until I've resolved that issue. We're supposed to resolve each day's anger as it comes, and we really do have this rule or expectation in our own home. As our children are now gone, as Shelley and I, we may have a, a difference, a disagreement during the day. We ensure even this day that we do not go to bed angry with each other. And sometimes there's been marathon nights as we've had to stay up late and we've had to talk even into the wee hours of the morning. But we've tried to always resolve our issues before going to bed. It's great advice for you as well. What I, I see too often, though, is people who are absolutely unwilling to put time into that resolution stage, not willing uh, to stay at the table until the issues have been talked about, until they have been resolved. Uh, we rather just tune out, go watch television, go to a different room, go to the garage, and just be separate from each other than to actually deal with the issue. And I just want to challenge you this morning that if you're willing to put in the time to resolve those conflicts, your marriage, your family relationships will be stronger. The Bible says this, don't go to bed mad at each other. Don't go to bed with an unresolved anger. Why is that? Because there's another biblical principle found in the book of Job 18, verse number 4, which says this, he teareth himself in his anger, shall the earth be forsaken for thee. The Physiological changes that happen when we get angry. Can you go there with me? The adrenaline begins to course through our veins. Sugar is released. Your heart begins to beat faster. Your blood pressure rises. The pupil in your eyes dilate and they widen. And you become this in this highly alert stage. Anger leaves us very, very powerful. 
I'll illustrate it. Um, you, you know that I like to do cycling from time to time. In fact, you've uh, seen me uh, uh, after I've had an accident or two. And so, so I love cycling. I enjoy that exercise. Well, one time I was riding with a guy named Jason. And uh, I met him at his house. And, and so we were, we, we, we were getting ready to ride. And, um, and how was your day? I, at, at work. And he said, I didn't have a good day. I said, okay, I'm sorry about that. And, and, I, and I was wondering, well, this is going to be an interesting ride because he was grumpy before. Before we even started riding. Well, we left his house and we were going um, down Marion, Cleveland, and then there, uh, at, at, toward Loma Alta there in Vail, there's this hill that it's, it's, it's an 8% grade of part of this section. And actually, uh, you have to really work hard. Well, we were riding and he took off. He left me like I was sitting still, like he had an electric bike. I think he did. He left me sitting still, and he went all the way to the top of Pistol Hill, I, and then he went down the other side, and he waited for me at the stop sign. I'm just like gasping for air, and I finally got up, and I got up to him. I said, what's wrong with you? And he says, I'm just mad. He was upset about something that happened, and literally that's what happened. His adrenaline shot up. And, and we, he was in a heightened state. When we get angry, there's a physiological change that takes place in our body. The problem is when we use that very powerful motion in the wrong way, then it becomes dangerous. Have you ever noticed the difference between that word anger and the word danger? Is one letter, the letter D. It's just dangerous to have misplaced anger and anger expressed inappropriately, it is dangerous. It's, it can destroy and it can destroy a job. It can destroy a relationship. It can destroy a, a marriage uh, relationship with your spouse. It can destroy or hurt uh, a relationship with your children. And it's common knowledge that most of the murders that are committed in our country every year are not committed by strangers. Most of the murders are committed by family members or relatives or friends, um, acquaintances who in a tiny moment allow that powerful emotion to get out of control and then the results were disastrous. I want to talk to you about expressing and controlling that anger in the appropriate way. And when you get angry, uh, there's a, there's some, you ought to teach yourself. There's a, a way to handle that immediately. So much so that if somebody says, you really need to change that, uh, here's what our, our, our response is oftentimes when we get angry. Well, that's just me. That's the way I am. That's the way I've always been. Um, you just have to live with it. And oftentimes, listen to me carefully, Pastor Howard and I can give testimony in the husband-wife relationship. There's an explosive outburst. And the other spouse takes a step back, and they retreat. And then the one who had the explosive outburst, here's the reaction. That's just the way I am. You knew that when you, I got married. That's just the way I am. You just have to deal with it. You have to live with it. May I just say, no, you don't. You need to change. You learned that behavior, and you need to unlearn that behavior. And if you're a Christian, the Bible gives us a prescription how to do it. And we have the Holy Spirit of God living within us who can help us control our anger. The Bible says we've got to admit our anger. The Bible says we have to address our anger. The Bible says that we need to, to adjust our anger. There's a fourth thing 
And this is where we get into the practical helps today for you to begin this coming week. And that is we need to adhere to God's word. When I get upset, when I get angry, I need to adhere to God's word. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 29 and verse 11. This is an amazing verse. The fool uttereth all his what? Whatever's inside. When that person gets up, the fool uttereth and it comes out. But a wise man, he keepeth it in till afterwards. The mark of wisdom is the ability to control your anger. And if you have a hot temper that you can't control, that means that you need to learn wisdom. Wisdom is shown in that ability to control your anger. Okay, pastor, I I hear what you said, but how do I do that? The Bible, not Pastor Armstrong, not some psychologist. The Bible gives us four ways that we can do that. And if you're prone to anger, you're prone to getting upset, here's four ways that you can start this week, today, learning how to control being upset and angry. Number one, realize the cost. Realize the cost. There is a cost when you get angry. May I just tell you, I'm embarrassed. I'm mortified. That when we get together as a family, that our three children can say, do you remember when dad got so upset and got so angry? And it happened less than 24 hours ago, unprovoked, where my own son says, do you remember when dad got so mad when I was running on the pews in church? I'm embarrassed that that happened. There's a cost. And you know that cost is that for all of this living life, my children know The dad got angry. Listen to Proverbs 29, verse 22. An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgressions. Have you you had your anger get into all kinds? Have you ever been so angry that it's got you into all kinds of trouble? Someone has said this. People with hot tempers do foolish things. People with hot temper do foolish things. I ask you, anybody want to give a testimony this morning of that? The Bible says, realize the cost before you lose that cool. Realize what you're losing. Proverbs 29 verse 1 states this, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. So many families are destroyed from this one area called anger. Realize the cost. The second thing we must do biblically is reflect before reacting. Reflect before reacting. Stop and think before you speak. Put your mind into gear before you put your mouth into gear. James 1 verse 19 says it this way. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to what? Hear, slow to speak, and slow to what? Hmm. I wish I could stand before you and tell you that that's something that's a part of my life is that my children have always seen dad slow to be angry. If you're quick to listen and you're slow to speak, you will be slow to get angry. And the problem is this, that we jump the gun. Uh, We jump to conclusions. We're in a hurry and we just let whatever's in our mind come out. And we say things that later we regret. And oftentimes... It's directed toward our spouse or another family member first and foremost. The Bible says, reflect 
before reacting. Uh, Think about what you're going to say before you get yourself into trouble. And the quickest way to cut your throat is to have a sharp tongue. Just be careful. Think before you speak. Well, there's a third biblical principle that we should do this morning, and that is that we should release our anger appropriately. We should release that anger appropriately. I need to learn how to release my anger according to the Word of God. And the Bible gives us the answer. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, it's an important verse, one that every one of us should memorize and one that every one of us should teach our children. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But you know what should proceed out of your mouth? That which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. We should use words that build up, not tear down. Be, uh, may I just encourage you this morning, be helpful, not harmful. It's all in how you say it. There are some things that need to be said, but they can be said in a loving way rather than an angry way. Um, uh, when I, I need to make sure that what I'm saying is appropriate and not inappropriate. Let me give you a couple of suggestions. Be brief. When there's something, uh, i got to release that anger appropriately. Be brief. State your case without going on and on and on until that, until that person just says, I surrender. I quit. I'm going back into the turtle shell. Number two, be specific. Don't make general condemnations. Get specific. What is it that's troubling you? And then be humble. Be humble. Be humble or you will stumble. And oftentimes we stumble because we we respond with angry words. The Bible says, (coughs) excuse me, in Proverbs 13 verse 10, only by pride cometh contention. Pride is at that root of every argument. It's one ego bouncing and fighting against another ego. But when you're humble, you're reducing the amount of time uh, needed and you're always getting to the solution a little bit quicker. I just, I challenge you this. Get rid of the you statements in your life and, and understand that, that, that I statements are better. What do you mean by that? Sometimes we make you statements. You always do this or that. You never do this or that. Rather, I think it would be more appropriate if we said, uh, I, 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 I'm not under, understanding what's going on here. Uh, I, I, uh, I need you to explain to me how you're feeling and why you feel that way. Uh, rather than make statements of accusation. Um, You know there are certain words you ought to have off limits in your home. There are certain phrases and certain terminology and there are certain uh, uh, tools. Now let me ask you a question. You know that person you live with very well. And you know your children very well. Some of you know your grandchildren very well. Now how many of you can relate to this? There are certain words, phrases that you can say that will absolutely send your spouse into orbit. How many of you understand that? There's things that we can say that cause our spouse to go off the deep end. We caused it by the words that we said. There's things that we should avoid in our marriage and in order to fight fair. It's sort of like chemical warfare. 
I love history. I love reading about the wars. I've read uh, the, the biographies of, of, of Patton and other great uh, military generals. And in the Vietnam War, it was, a, it was the first war where the United States used a, a lot of chemical warfare. Uh, or it took place in the Vietnam War, uh, something called Agent Orange. And, and Agent Orange, even to this day, to those who are still living from that, that era of the Vietnam War, they still suffer the debilitating effects of something called Agent Orange. We even know some people in our own church who have had uh, effects of Agent Orange. It's a chemical that was sprayed down. And, uh, and now what was supposed to happen, it was supposed to kill vegetation. It was supposed to open up Vietnam so that we could see where the enemy was. It was a jungle war. Uh, it's really fascinating to read about it now. It was an immensely unpopular war in the United States. And, and, um, and so some of you who are older, you understand what I'm talking about. We use chemicals and chemical warfare and the byproduct of that is that many soldiers were injured years later from the effects of that. So I want to give you some ground rules for fighting fair in your marriage and in your relationships. I call it chemical warfare. All, of them, all these words begin with the letter C. I would like to ask you, they're, they're listed for you in your handout. You could, you say, I don't really use your handout that often. If you, we, we deliberately didn't put blanks in there. You could actually take a pair of scissors, cut that out, put it in your Bible, put it in your car, put it on the mirror, make copies of it, hand it out. This will help you um, not have these conflicts that we're talking about. Number one, if you want to fight fair, never compare. Never compare. Why can't you be like so-and-so? You're just like so-and-so. Uh, it's unfair to compare. So never do that. Um, number two, never condemn. You never change people by condemning them. It doesn't work. Condemning never motivates anybody to change. You know, that's why I don't come up here as pastor and Sunday morning and condemn you. Uh, I, I've been in churches, especially back in North Carolina and Virginia, where when we were growing up as a young family, we were in the business world. Uh, we actually visited a couple of those churches where the pastor was always uh, so condemnatory in the pulpit. And he, and he would condemn uh, his own people that he wanted them to love them. I don't understand that. Uh, well, uh, uh, why be a jerk? Uh, you say, I agree with you, pastor. Let me say, why be a jerk in your marriage relationship? You don't want me to be a person who stands up here is always condemning and always making you feel, uh, uh, feel belittled. God help me never to do that. But if I don't do that as pastor, one who studies the word of God, you didn't learn that from the pastor, so we shouldn't be doing that in our homes either. Um, uh, it just doesn't work. We change people when we, when we show uh, them how much uh, we love them. Uh, we don't change someone by telling them how lousy they are, that they're no good, and, and, and here's what you're always bad about. Um, we, need to, we need to love people with our words. So don't condemn. When somebody says, here's what you, you could become, uh, I, I, here, when I look at you, I see the potential. I see the potential that you could become more like Jesus Christ. And that's what we should see in our families and in our children and our grandchildren and our spouses that uh, rather than condemn them, that they could be more like Christ. And 
that should be the motivation for someone to change. Um, if you want to be like Jesus, eliminate con- condemnation from your vocabulary. Uh, Why well, here at church, um, I was asked, how come you don't pre- uh, preach on s- particular sins from the pulpit? My many years, 25 plus years of preaching and speaking, I've never found that if I stand in the pulpit and I preach on some specific sin week after week after week, that that motivates someone to change. Um, What I do find is that if I can help you become more like Christ, he will motivate you to change. Um, uh, You know, we, we live in a pretty rough society. Would we all agree with that? I mean... We live in a sin-sick society. There's a lot of things that's wrong with our society. I can't change society, but here's what we can change. In a church this size, as we become more like Christ, one by one we can change the people that we're around, ultimately helping society to be changed. So you don't change people by condemning them. Number three or the third thing that we must do is we never command in our chemical warfare of fighting with our, our family or, or, or in the workplace. Uh, never end an argument uh, by force like, I demand that you do what I say. Uh, we don't treat people like that. Uh, you know, our marriages are not the Army or the Marines or the Air Force. Um, they're to be structured after Jesus Christ loved the church. And that's uh, uh, sometimes gets in the way of having an awesome home. Never, never challenge. The fourth thing is never challenge. Offering threats in your marriage or relationship. It's like you throw down the gauntlet. Just try that and see what happens in an angry voice we will say. That doesn't work either. Remember when you were a, a child and your parents used to say to you, I don't want to hear another peep out of you. And you inside, you were going, peep, peep. Um, don't challenge people with threats. Now, I want to be kind of blunt with you this morning. Typically in the marriage relationship, what often happens is we use three threats. Sex, money, and divorce. We, use, we throw those things out there. Those should be out of bounds in a relationship. Never challenge. Uh, I want to... I want to help some marriages today that are on the brink of a breakup. You have a strain. You wonder why that marriage relationship is falling apart. I think that this is an area where we need to work on. Number five, never condescend. Never condescend. Condescend. What does that mean? It means to belittle. It means to be that porcupine, those sharp barbs. We, uh, we ridicule. We play psychologists. Uh, I know why you said that. And uh, you, you may not feel that way, but, uh, but who said uh, you were mentally sane? Uh, uh, we, 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 we play mind games. Uh, uh, don't play historian and don't play psychologist and don't condescend and don't put those sharp barbs in your marriage relationship. Uh, quickly, never contradict. Never contradict. What do I mean by contradict? That means interrupt in the middle of a sentence. And I'm not saying that we can't disagree. I'm just saying wait your turn to talk. And have you ever tried to have a conversation um, (coughs) with that person that's always interrupting? They always butt in. They never allow you to finish your thought. Listen, you're in a marriage relationship. You have a family relationship. We need to listen more than just talking. Never confuse, finally, never confuse. Some of you are master confusers. Now, I've got you figured out here. Listen, here's how a lot of us do this. You're in a spiritual discussion, 
a disagreement, an argument, a fight, however you want to say it. You're in one of those. And, uh, and here's what happens. You're starting to lose the argument, and you are a master of changing the subject. And you bring in some unrelated issue that has nothing to do with what you're talking about. But you bring in something that was from three months ago. You bring in something that was from a year ago. You bring in something that was from five years ago. You're a master at at throwing off the person off their game. May I just say, when you start losing, you often switch the subject again. You are a master at confusing the argument. Never confuse. Here's what I'm saying is that every day we should take care of our garbage. Every single day we should talk to the other person without using angry words. I know this will surprise you and I know there's going to be some sweet couple, well-meaning come up to me and says, Oh, preacher, you've never met us. We've never had an argument in our 45 years of marriage. Um, No marriage is perfect. No marriage is perfect. Every marriage has faults. Even the healthiest marriage will have a discussion from time to time. There's a conflict. Conflict is inevitable, but combat is not. Even the healthiest marriages will have some conflict, but combat is not inevitable. You can disagree without being disagreeable. You can argue without assassinating the other person. And some of you have tried all these things, and you say, I just can't change. I can't control my anger. And that's because it takes more than willpower. It takes the Holy Spirit of God living in with you to break that cycle of anger. I'm just saying there's help by the Holy Spirit of God who lives within you. There's a fifth and final thing this morning. When I get upset and I get angry, I've given you some practical things, but that leads me right into the basis that the Holy Spirit lives within the life of the Christian, and that is this, I must rely on Christ's help. I must rely on Christ's help. Sadly, sadly, it took me many years as a dad to realize the importance of relying on the Holy Spirit of God before saying something that cost me and hurt my relationship with my children. Romans 15 verse 5 states, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. It says if you want to live in complete harmony in your relationships, we must have the attitude of Christ. Each one of us must put Christ first. And we must have the attitude of Christ. The way to intimacy is through the tunnel of conflict. I read a couple weeks ago. The way to intimacy is through the tunnel of conflict. You get the truth and you quit living at the superficial, cliche, shallow level. You admit your fears and your frustrations and your hurts and you actually talk about them. How does Jesus Christ heal my anger? He always deals with the root causes. He heals the hurts. He relieves the frustration. He salves the fears in life. And when Jesus fills you with his love, it's amazing how that his love pushes everything else out. I've discovered this. As someone who stands before you who has dealt with this issue my entire life, a learned behavior I've discovered that when I'm filled with anger, almost anything will tick me off. So, 
We've had some spirited discussions and staff meeting before. And uh, 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 Pastor Matt, when he was here, uh, uh, he, he would sit on my left-hand side in, in staff meeting. Jonathan sit on my left-hand side. Pastor Howard sits on my right-hand side. And there's sometimes that I would get worked up about something that, that happened. And Pastor Matt and Jonathan, uh, my son, uh, they, would, they would start smiling or laughing. And Pastor Matt and John say, did you see, uh, or uh, John say, did you see my dad's lip begin to quiver? I mean, that's in the last 12 years I've been here. Uh, they would look and they could say, they could see me getting worked up when my bottom lip, I said, my bottom lip doesn't quiver. And they go, oh, yes, it does. And we know you're getting upset. So now I'm very careful about my bottom lip. I can't, I can't let it quiver. I can't reveal my cards. I guess I would never be able to be a gambler because my facial expressions are, uh, and, and they used to laugh at me. They would see me get worked up and they said, did you see your dad's lip begin to quiver? I couldn't hide it. Anything. I could get ticked off so easy. And over the years I've had to learn. Only Jesus Christ can help me with this issue. And if you're struggling today with an anger issue, you must rely on Jesus Christ for victory. When the world puts pressure on you, whatever's inside of you, it's going to come out. It's like toothpaste. You can squeeze a a, a tube of toothpaste and whatever's inside that tube of toothpaste is coming out. And uh, when you're filled with anger and the world puts pressure on you, the only thing that can possibly come out is anger. And I've had to learn and ask the Lord to forgive me many times. And I've had to ask my own family to forgive me when times I've gotten anger. Because here's what happens when I'm filled with anger and I get upset Anger comes out. But if I'm filled with the love of Christ, even if there's a situation that ticks me off, if I'm filled with the love of Christ, I'm going to have restraint. And the love of Christ is going to come out. And that's my goal. Have you ever considered this? Part of the reason for your anger is that you're expecting other people uh, to meet the needs that, that only God can meet in your life. You're looking to other people to fill a hole and emptiness that only God can fill anyway. And when they can't fill it, they can't meet all your needs, you're mad at them. You're upset with them. May I just say definitively this morning, there's no person in the world that can ever meet all of your needs. Because every human being is imperfect. You are imperfect. You have sin. I have sin. We have an imperfect nature. But I'm just so thankful I could say this morning that Jesus Christ is there to meet our needs. We can have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Two stories and then I'm finished this morning. The first story is this. I was at Walmart. I told you last week I had a great story. I just love how I get illustrations from living life. I was at Walmart. And I was on the Oreo cookie aisle. Now, I don't know why Shelly needed Oreo cookies, but I, um, uh, I was on the Oreo cookie aisle. And there was two people, uh, uh, a man and a woman there, that were in a heated exchange about Oreo cookies. Now... I looked at her hand. She didn't have a wedding ring. He didn't have a wedding ring. So I don't know if they were married, but obviously they were in some type of relationship. And so I looked the other way, and I was pretending to look for something on this aisle as I listened to them fight. Now, don't look at me like that. Well, you do the same thing, all right? 
I was listening to this argument play itself out as I was pretending to find something right on the other side. They were going at it, and here's what they were going at it. Double stuffed or single stuffed cookies. <laughs> they were going to town. Now, I cannot use the language because then my son would hear me say words that I shouldn't say. Uh, uh, I cannot use the language they were using. They were using the worst world's language uh, in all of the world uh, as they were arguing over single stuff or double stuffed cookies. I tell you that story because they had three children with them. They were arguing over something that was ridiculous. It mattered not. But there were three children who were learning behavior from mom and dad of how to resolve an argument. And that was to yell, scream, use bad language. And those three children were learning a behavior from mom and dad. Here's the thing. Whenever we get angry, somebody's always watching. Someone's always learning. And if mom and dad were that angry, guess what? Those children were learning. That's how I resolve my problems at school, on the playground, with authorities in my life. That's how I resolve my issues with my siblings, is because that's how mom and dad handle. They yell and they scream at each other. You say, Pastor, you don't understand. This has been our marriage relationship. I too would be like you. I would be embarrassed if my children were to stand up and tell you about all of the fights and arguments that we've had. And I am. I'm embarrassed by the many times I've gotten angry in my 50 plus years of living. Some of you have heard this illustration, but it bears insertion in the message this morning. I had a I had just a little, what you would call a pimple on my side. And um, I got out of the shower one day, and Shelly said, what's that on your side? And I said, well, it's just a, I don't know, just a little pimple, a little sore to the touch, but a little pimple. And she says, um, we need to keep an eye on that. Uh, okay, she's, she's like that. She just worries about things like that. And so, and so uh, I, I didn't think anything about it. A couple of weeks go by. She sees it again. She goes, that's not gotten any better. She says, I'm going to call the doctor. I said, we don't need to call a doctor. It's a pimple. And so, uh, and she looked at it. And so she made me an appointment without me knowing. She says, you have an appointment with Dr. Quarterman. And uh, he's going to take a look at that, a dermatologist in, in Anderson, South Carolina. Okay. You know, I rolled my eyes, and I, I hate going to the doctor. I hate taking medicine. I, 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 I just despise all of that. So, uh, so I, was, I was irritated with my wife that I had to go to the doctor. And so I went, uh, and uh, Dr. Corman looked at it, and he said, uh, he said, well, we'll, we'll just, we'll, let me just take that, that out there. We'll do a biopsy on it, and, and um, I don't know that's anything. And I said, okay. So, so I spent all that money for him to take a pimple out of my, of my side. So he, he just pops it out, sends it off. I don't think anything about it. I'm, I, it's a Thursday afternoon. I'm driving my car, and I get a call. 
It wasn't the receptionist. It wasn't the nurse. It was Dr. Quarterman. He goes, Brent, he says, I need to see you in my office at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, which would be Friday. And I said, oh, oh Dr. Quarterman, he said, um, uh, I said, I already have a full day tomorrow. I already have a couple appointments. I can't make it. We can get the, the appointment next week. He goes, no, I need to see you at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. I said, no, that's a, uh, that, uh, I, I can't come tomorrow. I already have appointments. He goes, Brent, I need to see you at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. The tone of voice. Oh. Okay, Dr. Quarterman, I'll be there at 8 o'clock in the morning. I go home that night, and I tell Shelly, I said, well, uh, Dr. Quarterman called me. And as soon as I said, Dr. Quarterman called me, Shelly knew, wait, the doctors never call you. So it had to be serious. And so she was restless all night. We get there, and I'm not exaggerating. Shelly's here. She can tell you this. She can verify this to be 100% true. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the assistants there, she was uh, our church organist, so she worked in that office. And, um, and so we get there before 8 o'clock. Instead of being at a doctor's office, it's like we're at a funeral home. We walk in. They immediately, I didn't even have to sit down in the waiting room. They said, oh, go ahead and come on back. And, um, and they have Christian music playing. The lights are dimmed, and nobody will make eye contact with me. And Shelly senses what's going on, and she starts crying, and we haven't even found out anything. And she's sitting over here in the chair. Teresa, the church, the, the church organist, she was over here, and she was playing with paperwork on the counter. I was sitting in the, in the, in the, the, the medical chair there, and um, Dr. Quarterman, he comes in, and he sits on that little round chair with four wheels, and he wheels up to the side of me, and he goes, he goes Brent, he says, um, he, said, uh, um, uh, he said, we send off your sample to the pathologist, and um, he says, they didn't believe it. So they send it off to another pathologist, and you have something called an adenoma carcinoma of the sweat gland. He says it's very rare. Only 19 people had it uh, last year in all of the world, known cases. And, and it has a high mortality rate. If it's in your bloodstream, there's absolutely no way they can cure it, um, and, the, and death is, is certain. I understood the music the lower lights. Shelly's over here. She's boohooing. I said, okay, well, how do we know that? He goes, well, we have to do something called a Mohs procedure, and we have to enlarge the margins, and we have to go in there, and we have to make sure that we've got all of it. I said, okay, let's do it. And, um, and, 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 and literally, I said, hey, guys, I'm not dead yet. I, I, I said that because everybody was acting like I'd already died. I said, I'm not dead yet. So three times they enlarged the most procedure. My side got so big that the Dr. Corman said, oh, we should have done this at the hospital. And they had to stitch me up. And I, I, and I, had, I had a terrible, nasty um, uh, wound in my side. So, so uh, I, I don't plan to show you, but if I had to get out of the shower today, um, uh, you would see this scar on my left side. Um, and uh, I, he, used, he didn't use like... Um, you know, those stitches that, that try to prevent you from the scar. It had gotten so big, he used the great big old thing. So I got a zipper right there. <laughs> now, I tell you that for this reason. I hurt. There's a lot of nerves in there. And then we had to wait 
And I had to go to I had to go to the doctor every single month, and they drew my blood, and they had to see if I had cancer. And and Shelly worried and worried and worried, and I know that's a sin, sin, sin. But she worried, and and she thought I was going to die any day. And she put her hand over on me at nighttime to make sure I was breathing. I mean, I, this is how serious this was. Um, and then finally, I got to the six month mark, and then they said I could just come. Uh, every six months, and then after two years, they declared me cancer-free. And, and, uh, and, and here's the thing. I tell you all of that to say this. I hurt. It was real. I had, I had stitches for what seemed like forever. I had to go to the doctor. I had to have my blood drawn. I had to have all these different things go on to make sure that I was cancer-free. And today, I still have a scar. But I have no pain. In fact, I don't even know that it's there unless I look at myself in the mirror. It's as a reminder that one time I had cancer. Here's the reason I end my message with this story. Some of you, you say, Pastor, you don't know how bad it is in our home. It hurts. There's a cancer called anger. That just is always there. And there's one of, one, it doesn't always have to be the guy, but the, the, the male or female in that relationship, in that home is, is so explosive in their anger. And you say, you don't understand. There's no way it could be fixed. I'm a living testimony before you this morning. That out of 19 people in all the world that had that, and with such a high mortality rate, I survived. They cut the cancer out. You can cut the cancer out with God's help. You will always have a scar. I wish I could tell you you wouldn't. I mean, Shelly's used all these different kinds of, of creams and butters and things to try to mim- minimize my scar. Um, now I'm proud of it. Here's the thing. Yes, you have to cut out the cancer. That's eating away at that relationship. And it will take some time to heal. I wasn't declared cancer-free for two years. But today I stand before you as someone who doesn't have cancer. Oh, I have a scar, a reminder. And I stand before you to say, in my own family, there's not hurt anymore with my children over the times that dad has gotten mad but the scar's still there because they say, do you remember when dad was so angry? But the relationship's been healed. I give you hope. Your relationship can be healed. And maybe there's always a scar. But your relationship can be healed with the help of Jesus Christ. He's the doctor. He's the physician. And if you are a believer today, the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. And he can give you victory over this area of anger. And you can stand one day. And maybe you have already messed up. Maybe there's memories that your spouse or one of your children will always remember that you did that. But the pain can go away. And yes, there may be a scar. But you can begin the healing process with the help of the Holy Spirit. But it starts with you making a decision. I need victory over this area in my life.